Before we get into today's game scoop, let's take a moment for a shout out to our sponsor, Squarespace. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. Whether you're just starting out or managing a growing brand, Squarespace makes it easy to create an awesome website, connect with your audience, and sell anything all in one place, all on your terms. With Squarespace, you can easily sell custom merch and create a passive income stream. You design your products, and production, inventory, and shipping are all handled for you, saving you time and money. You can sell your products in an online store. Whether you sell physical, digital, or service products, Squarespace has the tools you need to start selling online. Use insights to grow your business, learn where your site visits and sales are coming from, and analyze which channels are most effective. Improve your website and build a marketing strategy based on top keywords or most popular products. Ready to get started? Head over to squarespace.com gamescoop for a free trial. And when it's showtime, use our special promo code gamescoop to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested, and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android, or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. What's up, everybody? Welcome to IGN Gamescoop. I'm your host, Damon Hatfield. This is Justin Davis, Ryan McCaffrey, and Brian Altano. (laughs) And our topic today comes from viewer Birch Miller. Birch? Yes. Cool. He... Good tree. (laughs) He thinks video games today need to be providing us with more options. Maybe a strange topic, but let, let him explain. Let him explain. He says... Your discussion about the death animations in the new Tomb Raider game reminds me of something I've been asking for years now. A few weeks ago we were talking about those very grisly death animations in in Tomb Raider. Why don't developers give users more gameplay options? Developers need to realize, he's calling out these developers, these developers need to realize (laughs) that this generation wants all the customization they can get. I mean, is is that true? Is that... Before we go any further, is that true? What is um, this generation wants all the customization? I mean, that's absolutely true. Like, okay. it's a big thing with uh, even gamers younger than ourselves that uh, you know, customizing your iPhone faceplates. I get S- Xbox faceplates were never a thing, but uh, <laughs> they, they were tried. fifteen dollars. That was the problem. Weren't you know, they even more? They were like twenty dollars. I feel like the anyway. w- the way that the kids these days yeah. accessorize, and uh, you know, no one wants to just have like the same. Like when I was growing up, everybody had to have a starter jacket. That's what you had to have. But now, like the NFL jacket. team of your choice, yeah. embroidered on the back for yes. sure. But you could also it was the team of your choice, but you had to pick one of these three teams. You sucked. The Raiders. <laughs> well, I mean, not where yeah. I was. It was, it was the Packers. Anyway, any, like anyway, let, let's continue. On. <laughs> What are we now, doing? you could say that adding options will change the gameplay, 
but if it's optional, then what's the big deal? So here are a few ideas of things that might make games more interesting. All right. So he wants, for example, he wants there to be a mode without enemies, like in Uncharted or Bioshock. So sometimes I just want to look around and find items. Why not give me the option of exploring a world without the tedious job of shooting people? Journey anyone? <laughs> but like that's not an option. Well, also, in the game, that's the whole game. Yeah, it's not like there was a shoot people mode in Journey. Yeah. <laughs> like if you, well, he's talking. That's what he's saying. It could be like Journey. Sure. But if you find that the sh if it's a tedious job to shoot people in Bioshock, maybe this is not the game for you. Like, yeah. mm -hmm. well, you know, the, this this whole thing just takes me back to early '90s games. You know, like Doom. One of my all time like that's a that's one of my five Desert Island games. Right. Because mm -hmm. you can play Doom over and over, and you know, it's got easy cheat codes. IDDQD, God Mode, IDKFA, all the, all guns and weapons, sure. and you could just turn on no clipping mode and just fly through yeah, the levels this, if you felt like it. It's it's more common in PC games, right? Yeah, I feel like. So we were teasing Birch a little bit, but I don't necessarily disagree. I mean, I think that you know there used to be when you finished a game, there would be lots of stuff to go back and do. Like Goldeneye was full of you know cheats and codes and oh, yeah. Doom, like you're talking about SimCity. I feel like if you beat Bioshock, yeah, I mean, why not give people the option? Maybe almost nobody would like it, but how much time would it really take to implement a mode where, sure, just like run around Rapture and you don't need to worry or be stressed out about so, it? So, yeah, kind of what he's talking about is basically a debug mode, right? Yeah, like, pretty much. I think it's called a museum mode in, in some cases. And, yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, most games don't have it, which is kind of interesting. I, most games uh, kind of provoke you to clear out an entire air, area of enemies and then go back and find everything. But that's... Because the gameplay I, in that game is really first, <coughs> most uh, for, for, most importantly, killing people and then going back and finding crap, and not just finding crap while people are shooting at you. You're like, leave me alone. I'm trying to find some treasure. Yeah, like well, that doesn't I, make I, any I, sense. I think that should be a, a bullet point on the box. Exciting killing people and going back and finding crap <laughs> gameplay. So I think the unfortunate <laughs> real answer to this particular <laughs> scenario is that uh, even implementing anything in a game these days requires it to be tested. And go through certification, even if it's part of the game. Like it's, games cost so much money now and take so much time that so much money that even if you sell 3.5 million copies in three weeks, it's considered a disappointment. Yep, they not enough. To, well, they need to revise their own internal expectations. Yeah. But that's a topic for a different game scoop. We, uh, I mean, you're absolutely right. Games are so complex and the team sizes are so large that it's super easy for us to sit here and be like, yeah, just remove the enemies. How hard yeah. could that be? But like, it actually you don't is. know. Like since yeah. these games are so scripted, like maybe some enemy being in place, like by removing it, you're breaking something else. Right. And so you would need a whole QA team to run through. Through that right. there's some or, feature that the vast majority of people don't care about. Exactly. I mean, that's the the sad reality that that didn't exist in the 80s and 90s, right? You could just flip on that stuff, and it was it was a lot easier yeah. to get away with. Yeah. So like, Birch wants access to, uh, like, you know, the game options. You know, he wants like to open up, like, sort of like go behind the curtain, right, of sure. the game and explore right. all this stuff. But that's sort of like, how do you uh, balance that with the the experience that the developers are trying to create? Right, valid point. Um, yeah, I, I think that's you, like you totally nailed it. I think that that kind of breaks it a lot. Um, it's 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 the same thing as like you know a, a movie. You want to stop the movie and you want to see what's on the back of the set and you know how this costume was made. And you get extras and DVDs and Blu-rays and you stuff watch like them that. Afterwards. Sure, yeah. sure, and you get things like that. But to like stop the game, and be like, hold on, like Zach Morris time, freeze everything, spin the whole level around, see how the the stilts and everything are holding everything up. Like I mean, it's it's too much. And I think. Um, games now, more than ever, are these really kind of highly guided experiences, especially because they're just like, it's cost so much money, we put so much time into this environment and these characters, we want you to just go through this scripted section 
or loosely scripted section. I mean, I can't and experience it the way we want you to experience it. I can't speak for a Ken Levine, but you know, Bioshock Infinite being the hot game of the moment, would would Ken want you to be able to, you know, peek behind the curtain? I would venture to guess, probably not. But then that leads me to think, well, what's more important, what Ken wants or what the person who bought the game wants. Sure, I mean, that's a fair point, and that's why, uh, you know, we've sort of been explaining why this isn't a great idea, or why maybe Birch is a little off base, but he's right about, like, this is your product, right? Like, yeah. let people have fun with it the way that they want to have fun with it. Um, sure. You know, the example, I think I've talked about this on GameScoop before, is Cliff Bozinski right. once said that uh, <laughs> if an easy mode is still too hard for some gamers, like, you failed. Like, you need to make your easy mode basically impossible to fail, because if someone's playing on easy, like, that's what they want to do, right? And mm -hmm. so let people play the game that they want to play the game. I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with that sentiment, necessarily. I think, I think there is a certain level where developers have to stop listening to the people playing their games and just pull the trigger on their own decisions. Sure. Bioware listens to their fans way too yeah, much, if you Yeah, ask me. and I, I think yeah. even, I, like, like, Nintendo with Smash Brothers or something like that, people are like, put in Sonic, put in yeah. this guy, put in that guy, and they do it to a certain extent, but, I mean, eventually you're going to have a character roster that's every video game character in What history. other creative medium is like that? Like, if... if Oh, the fans don't like the last song in the new Radiohead record. Like, oh, okay. oh I'm yeah. sorry, guys. We'll, yeah, yeah. we'll record a new song. Yeah, we'll remaster the record yeah, without. Yeah, they fly out it. to the studio. They redo the whole thing. Like, <laughs> we sent out some new versions of that album. That that's think, ridiculous. I think a lot of that stuff can happen. I wish there was more to do in games when you beat them. Like, you beat Tomb Raider. I'm kind of done with Tomb Raider. I yeah, wish I could restart Tomb Raider in New Game Plus. What about just, multiplayer? Like, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Jeez. <laughs> no. You know, so I think about, you know, if you had a lot of this stuff, like, let people access all the weapons from the start. Let them just play around with game settings. And, like, I love, I, I'm going back to Goldknife as an example, because that unlocked this menu where, like, you could give the enemies 200% health and do, like, yeah. if you beat that well, game on the hardest difficulty, it unlocked all these well, options. Well, what was wonderful about that game, too, is that the difficulties weren't just, like, enemies were tougher. They had tiered objectives. Well, sure, that's a whole different thing. Yeah, yeah which, I mean, that was just something else to give you more incentive to keep playing. Yeah. There's a few other ideas that Birch has here for options. He'd like to be able to remove death animations in Tomb Raider and Resident Evil, um, make it optional. I don't know why. So that's sort of tired like of a, seeing those just, death well, animations. I guess he just wants to to re restart faster. Yeah, so. maybe. Is that it, or does he not want to see... Because it, it, the other option's violent. like the blood code, Either way. where yeah. you take away all the gore, and you take away all the death, and That no... seems like it would be easy, you know, since it is an animation that just, like, begins... Yeah, just that, cut it off. Yeah, just, like... Skip it. Yeah, just he also it. said yeah. swearing, right? Well, that, yeah, he'd like the uh, option to remove swearing. He says, you know, maybe people have kids. A lot of games do actually have that option. Gears does. Do they? Yeah, Gears of you can, what, does. You can beep it, or what? Uh, it's it? just... It just... I, I think it's... It just puts clown noises over everything. Um, uh -huh. I just feel like that, that would, that's actually extra work, extra work for the developers, right? Yeah. You can't, like, sure. like, you record your dialogue, now you can't just remove certain words. Yeah, you have to, now you go in and yeah, that's, so that's actually extra work. Yeah, I mean, I don't necessarily disagree with any of that. It's like, you know, games used to have blood on off. That's something yeah. that's kind of gone away these days. I mean, I think it's kind of like, if you have the option in there at all to have the blood, then your game's already getting the M rating. Yeah, so like, why, yeah, you know, that's, just, that's the weird thing. It's like, hey. So why are you buying it for your yeah. kids in the first place? Yeah. You're in the store and you're like, I want that game, but can you take the chainsaws and turn them into umbrellas? And like, it's just, <laughs> we, uh, just play Mario at that point. The thing about Tomb Raider is that game's really violent. Like, Uncharted is, is Uncharted rated M or is it T? I want to say it's T, uh, yeah. but maybe it's M. I, I, we don't know. Let's but even know. if it is, the, the bottom line is Tomb Raider has a level of violence in it that like Uncharted doesn't That's have. True. Yes. And like, it wouldn't take that much to dial it down to be more Uncharted style. Like, just take out the crazy yeah. kill animations. Like, take out some of that. Well, like, that absolute stuff that pushes the limit, and then suddenly you have a game that's much more sort of Uncharted's level of The whole violence. first couple hours of the game, though, are about mm. Lara's struggle with that's true. with that uh, adjusting to that violence. And, of course, there's the, the big 
big scene where she first how do has you, to do that. Yeah. How do you sell these things, though? You put up a box that says Tomb Raider for sensitive people, and you have to go buy that, and you're like, you go to school, and you're like, oh, which version did you play? And you're like, the sensitive people. Like, <laughs> I mean, I think you, can people, you can give people the option in the game. Sure. Maybe. Yeah. But you're absolutely right. In the case of Tomb Raider, that's actually a poor example because... That violence serves a purpose. Like but there are plenty of examples. Yeah. So but it's, it's like saying, I'm not going to watch this, this horror movie until it's on, you know, channel so it's five. Yeah, it's on, I want to watch the airplane version? Yeah, I want until it's on a plane. It's like, no one's <laughs> like, oh my God, he's going to... Oh, next, next scene, he's fine. Like, I, that's just a weird thing to me. I, you know, some games are violent games because they're violent games. Like, we can't... It's like saying, I want an E-rated game to have violence options. <laughs> that would be, can I like add Kirby, violence? when he inhales a guy, he Dude, spits Lego out his blood and guts. And he's like, yeah, I fucking killed you. <laughs> like, <laughs> like the Goomba, when you stomp on a Goomba, he gets Just like, like a letter sent yeah. to his family. Like, well, they, they actually, there was a video going around a couple months ago that was like, um, it was uh, Super Mario Brothers, but with like next gen rated M sound effects, and he would land on a Goomba, and he's like, and he's like, jumping and running. It was like, disgusting. I was like, I don't want to play that game. That's awful. Rich wants to be able to access mini-games anytime after they're discovered. Like in Far Cry, if you want to play like the knife-throwing game, you have to drive to the left. Totally, Yeah, That makes sense. Yeah, I'm generally in favor of, once someone's beaten the game and played it the way that the developer wanted it to be played, yeah, give them the keys to the sandbox. Why not? Yep. You know, it gives you people more reason to come back. And bring to back game. sound tests. Those were fun. I love the sound Those tests. Were really fun. You can hear all the sound effects. You like, just play them like, for hours, just yeah. messing around. That's kind of that's kind of a retro game thing. You used to I be know, able to listen much. to every individual sound effect, every music track in the game. I thought that was awesome. Yeah. I don't think that's shown up in a game in 15 years. No, because you'd have like 15 straight ones of Lara Croft coming like ah uh, <laughs> ah. Awesome. You just have to keep in those. <laughs> There's like a hundred yeah. different shotgun blast sounds <laughs> you hear. <laughs> oh, they gotta bring that back. That would be so cool. Yeah. That would be really good. I think I need to time my jumper. <laughs> like, shut up, I know, I just haven't gotten it right yet. You see, Justin, this turned out to be an interesting topic. Oh yeah, I was skeptical. You were skeptical about this really? topic today. Yeah. Uh, thanks guys, and thank you, viewers. Remember, you can always reach us at gamescoop at IGN.com. Stay tuned for more video game discussions right here on IGN Gamescoop. <laughs>
Um, and games still come out there from time to time, but he basically said that it's because Sony and Nintendo are Japanese and that they are more likely and liable to support their domestic products um, there, which doesn't also account for why Apple is successful there. That's the thing I wanted to bring up. You know, um, when I first started going to Japan maybe 10 years ago, they had uh, uh, smartphones that were light years ahead of what we were using you know, here. But uh, now you go to Japan today and everyone's just using iPhones and uh, iPads. So I, they'd have no problem accepting that American-made product. Yeah, it's a little weird. I, I, I mean, I, I think he's right. But I, I think that it's it's in the console space or the gaming space. They may, might feel different maybe about some other products or whatever. But, um, yeah, I mean, I didn't get into it too deeply with him about Apple. but So, obviously, you know, the Xbox is very successful here. I So, me personally, I don't think, oh, I, I really like the Xbox because it's American-made. You know? but that's but really you what's think, under the surface for you, I bet. No, I don't think so. <laughs> do you think, I mean, if, if Japanese people have that mindset, is that mindset also shared by Americans? Like, do they want it, like, do they like it because it's an American-made console? I doubt it. I mean, I think that uh, as Americans, you and I from the Midwest, we're pretty ignorant about everything. I bet a lot of people probably don't even know that the PlayStation is not. It's like, <laughs> what? This isn't an American company? Like, I think we are very accepting as a nation, right, of this yeah, global is, ecosystem, right? That's There's true. in Back to the Future. Mm -hmm, Marty mm -hmm. tells Doc the best stuff comes from Japan. Or China, wasn't it? I forget which one it was. All the best stuff is made in Japan. So, <laughs> Michael G. Fox. Yeah, it's pretty good. That leads us to the question, you know, Microsoft is about to unveil the next Xbox. We don't know exactly what? when. We don't know exactly when, but it, we know. <laughs> <laughs> you run out. <laughs> I've got to go. Coming soon. Yeah. Probably this month. Probably. Yeah. Will they, should they even release that console in Japan? I think they have to. I mean, Microsoft has been very adamant about global launches, even if it's not necessarily the same day, right? The Xbox 360 did launch in Japan, I think a month, maybe maybe less after uh, its release in North America, hit Japan, failed miserably, uh, sold like 100,000 units in its first month, and then just kind of tailed off, and now it's sold like 1.6 million to date in Japan, which yeah. is like 0.02% of the total sales of that console. That's mm -hmm. insane. That so, is, business-wise, business that's terrible. Yeah, like, but don't you, do that again. You just said they have to. Yes, yeah. I think they have to. I think they can't afford to let that market go. They cannot afford to let Sony monopolize that next-gen console market. You Why? can't admit defeat. Why? They don't have it now. Sure, but I think they, they still need to try, especially now because the Xbox 360 took so long to get uh, a lot of, even third-party Japanese releases, right? Like we have Resident Evil uh, hitting the 360, mm -hmm. Resident Evil 5, Resident Evil 6. Um, I think as time goes on, you're going to see Microsoft try to adopt more Japanese stuff earlier. We saw the, the attempt with Blue Dragon and Lost Odyssey. Maybe a little bit too late, probably not enough. Um, looking forward, you have to think that if they're going to release in Japan, which I think they will, um, they have to have a strategy. There's you, a tipping you, you, point. You, you, uh, yeah, you, I do. I do. I mean, you have to go out there. We're talking about like how accepting I think America is right now of global consumerism, right? You have to keep trying to bring that to everyone else, right? Why? You, because you want to be a global company, right? You want to be something that appeals to the most people. You want to have stuff. I mean, it's all about games. It's 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 that's how it speaks, right? That's what Mitch is talking about. It, if you're gonna launch the Durango Box 2012 and you bring it out and it's gonna have great games, then Durango people are gonna Box want 2012. it. Catch it. TM 2012. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's about its power. It's not about the year. But if you try to infiltrate a market for ten years. And it never catches on. Wait, why not just think, well, maybe they're, maybe this is maybe Microsoft has now identified what it is, whatever it is they're doing that leads them to fail in Japan. Maybe they've identified, hey, that thing that we did that led us to fail twice in a row, let's not do that. I don't know what that is. I don't know if 
it is the domestic thing that Inafune talked about. Maybe it's the software. Maybe it's the hardware. Maybe it's. I mean, it's, don't you want everyone developing? I mean, we keep talking about how this is probably the last console generation, and we're moving towards this unified thing. You want everybody making or have the chance to make games for your system. If you're not going to put it out in Japan, you're not expo exposing it to developers, and you become. See, a, that's not, that's a not true because. Uh, the console market is bigger in the West now than it is in Japan. So sure. I think Japanese Much developers better. would still want to develop games for you know and sell them in the West. Yeah, I mean that's what Inafune games. was saying was that like a Capcom, like they never thought about making exclusive games ever because that's not how they make money. They they understood it's like something in Japan is something like fifteen percent of the console market. So it's like it's a it's a readily shrinking market in terms of worldwide global consumerism, especially as uh, emerging markets open up in Brazil and other places in Central and South America and in Eastern Europe. Those are those are huge markets that, frankly, PlayStation is going to dominate, I think. The PlayStation's already huge in Brazil. Um, it's huge in Eastern European markets. Um, and what I think you're going to find if, if Microsoft wants to launch in Japan is that they're going to do it because they feel like they have to need, they need to save face there. Exactly. Um, they're not go they, you know, Xbox sold about 2 million units there. And Xbox 360 is going to fail to even reach those numbers. So not only are they not selling, they're actually the numbers are actually declining. Um, and you can say that that's within the context of a shrinking console market there, which it is because the handheld market and the mobile market there is huge. Um, one thing I think people are missing out on is that Xbox uh, started to emphasize Connect a little bit, which is basically impossible to use in a Tokyo apartment. Um, <laughs> just like San and, Francisco. Yeah. yeah. And, and uh, you know, there's just less space there. Uh, people are on top of each other, especially in big cities. Um, <laughs> if the new Xbox uh, really emphasizes motion control, it's really going to sink that console there, I think. And uh, I think, but I, I do think Microsoft will launch the system there. If anything, just to be like, well, we can't, we're we're going to lose money again it, on sure. this, but we have we have to do it. Um, Microsoft is yeah. Microsoft, and I can't imagine them being being able to sit there and eat crow and be like, you know what, Japan doesn't want us, we don't want we're them. Out. We're out. You know, like there's no way they're going to do that. But that's an excellent point. I didn't even think about the fact that how we hear about how the new Connect or whatever is going to be such an integral part of the next episode. I think the, the assumption there, though, is that Connect is going to be exclusively motion-based, right? Like, we, we hear Connect, we think, oh, dumb dancing garbage. But realistically, I think what the Connect is going to be, especially if it's built in or mandatory or whatever it is, it's going to be a lot of voice stuff. Yeah. And I think that's, that's going to be the, the large support of it. It's going to be mandatory because they want you to use it, but I don't think there's going to be as much of an emphasis on, like, motion-controlled games that would, you know, impact a very small apartment. Sure, sure. It would definitely be very unusual for a new console to launch and then not launch in Japan. Yes. But I, I just don't see that how, how that would benefit Microsoft. I don't think they need that market. Um, also, the, the Xbox is built around this like entertainment center hub idea of the living room, and there's all these services on it. Like I watch Netflix and Hulu Plus and HBO Go, and I have no idea if those services are even available in Japan. So it's, then it's like, what if it, is it just about games? Okay, well, now they don't have any games that appeal to the Japanese market, right? Yeah. I think worst case it. scenario, like the way I see it going is they, Microsoft launches globally uh, as rapidly as they can, if not day and date, like November 22nd, 2013, we launch on every, in every territory with the Xbox 3 or whatever it is. Um, or they, they launch in Japan a month later like they did before. But the way I see it going is they have that initial shipment go to Japan and then that's how they gauge their success. If it sells out, great. Uh, they ship more. If it fails miserably, they back out again and say, well, you know, we tried third time and it just didn't work out. Yeah. And see, so they, I, they I think focus elsewhere. It's, for me it strikes me as a bullet point on your presentation checklist that We're you're in launching in every, every, territory. every exactly exactly. And not how much give that up. how much I don't, you know, I'm not a businessman. I don't know if you caught on. I don't know how much you actually lose, how much it costs to ship those consoles to Japan to have them there. It's not even that though. Like the the 
the thing you have to think about is like Microsoft needs a presence there to support Xbox, and so this is going to cause them to have scores of employees in office. They're going to have to translate things. They're going to have to localize everything. They're going to have to get those services that Damon was talking about. Yeah, uh, like, marketing, you know, marketing campaign. Yeah. If they, I don't, I think they're going to do it. Like I, I do think they're going to do it, but they're going to lose money, and PlayStation 100%. Four is going to trounce it. I mean, like, and we all know that already. So it does like kind of beg beg the question why, like Damon's asking. I think that's a totally valid question, but I think Microsoft's too big and too proud yes. to say that. You know, we're just gonna we're gonna give this to our biggest competitor, um, who might actually take it to us everywhere else in the world too. And you don't wanna and you don't want to because uh, you know it seems like things could be shifting if the if you know if these guys kind of diverge, uh, which it seems like they are. And Microsoft's going in this direction, Sony's going in this direction. Only one of them can win. But I think the interesting thing that we're not thinking about too, is that Wii U is like failing miserably. And so this, you know, it's in like Sega Saturn territory. And whether whether or not, whether it is, I mean, just that's the, and that's not a judgment call. That's just that's what that's what the that's what the great analogy. That's what the data says. You know, like it's it's in bad shape. It's selling worse than the PlayStation Three and the Xbox have ever sold. And in and they're six and seven years old. So that also removes like another unless Nintendo really gets behind it and relaunches this thing, which they might. You never, Super you never, you. You never count you never count Nintendo out. But that removes a component from the market in Japan in which that might give an angle for Microsoft to compete with Sony because no one really looks at Nintendo as Sony's competitor right now in the sure. console space. PlayStation 3 is going to win that, that, that race with Wii U right now, and PS4 obviously is going to win that race in Japan as well. Um, and while DS is really, or 3DS is really killing the Vita, and the Vita's kind of doing okay, but not really, there's a little space there for Xbox to carve out its niche again. But this is an economy of scale, man. And like, if you can't sell lots and lots of games, then it doesn't pay to bring a console yeah. over there. So it's a, it's a question of business dynamics, but I also think it's a question of pride. And I think it's the latter that is going to get Microsoft in Japan. Probably with Xbox, I would say not, not worldwide, but probably in 2014, they'll launch it there. Yeah, like we were saying, we do expect the next Xbox to be announced this month, so we should you know, have more information on what Microsoft's worldwide launch plans are very soon. But thanks, guys, and all for you. Thanks for tuning in. Stay tuned for more video game discussions right here on IGN GameScoop. Let's check in with the listeners. Hey, listeners. Listeners, remember you can always reach us at the email address gamescoop at IGN.com, just like... <laughs> Jake Banks did. Are they viewers now? Yes, but for tradition's sake. All right, yeah. Greg. saying, man. You gotta upgrade sometime. Like, say, say by the building new class. Let's check in with the viewers. Hey, viewers. You wanna say that now? Yeah. I don't know. That just doesn't seem How right. How about, hey, game scoopers? Well, well, yeah. well yeah. anyway, Jake Banks writes in today. He says, hey, guys. Hey, hey. was just wondering if you guys could shed some light on something for me. Whenever a new console is coming out, I tend to think that games that are released on both the new console and the console it's just replaced tend to be less next-gen and more like just a prettier version. Is this true, or would there be considerable differences? Now, he words That's a email. walkabout. <laughs> it's like you're really like, <laughs> you hear the gears breaking. wording is a little awkward. I we we phrased it well question. back here, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Right, Bridging the generation gap. Yeah. We came to that after high tech. That's what I did. What he's talking about is, you know, when a, a new generation of consoles rolls around, there are some games that are released on both the current and next-gen platforms, yeah, right, right, right. and sometimes they seem like they're just the same game, the next-gen version is just a little prettier. Yeah. He's asking if that's the case, and for the most part, yes. Yeah, so uh, I've been covering the Xbox since the dawn of time, and when, when the 360 came out, I actually coined a term for this. You can check it at the trademark office. It's there. I hope that's true. You get a nickel every time someone says it. Exactly. So here's the nickel number one for today. 
Hawkware, ladies and gentlemen. Hawkware. Hawkware. So Tony needs some exp oh, it's oh, Tony Hawk's American oh, Wasteland. American Wasteland, yeah. Tony Hawk's American Wasteland was a game that shipped in 2005 for the Xbox, for the PlayStation 2, and probably the GameCube as well. I don't remember. Who it Nobody played yeah. Nintendo back then. Anyway, really different night uh, and day. Nowadays. When when the Xbox 360 launched on, uh, in November of 2005, Tony Hawk's American Wasteland came out for the Xbox 360 as well. It was the exact same game. Uh, running in 720p instead of 480p, and with achievements for $10 more. Same game, no mm. texture difference, no nothing. You were you were paying $10 more, basically for achievements. Right. And so and worth and it. <laughs> <laughs> we would come to find out that yes, but yeah. So I started came to call this phenomenon Hawkware. Nice, that's I like good. that. After, like after for me, the example's always Madden, right? I remember so when Madden, the, yeah, when Madden came to 360. Was, I didn't buy a 360. Do you remember launch. that trailer? Yeah. You're like, oh my god, this is blowing my mind. This is going to be the best Madden the, ever. The Madden target, NFL, that was target footage. It was it? Yeah, okay. You've you done your homework. Yeah, I yeah. did. I, did I, had to go to, I remember I had to go research. to, I went to like one of those places, I did an article for the paper I was working at, I went to this place where you could play games, and they had like, you know, marathon gaming sessions, and I played it there, and I put it, and I was like, this is terrible. Like, this is all, like, the modes were missing, the announcements were right? horrible. It looked amazing, yeah. but features were missing that exactly. were in the PS2 and yep, uh, totally. Xbox versions. Yeah. What's going on here? Yeah. Yeah, the so one that, that one didn't work. The out. one for me that always stands out is Gun because I really oh, liked Gun on PS2, so and then I heard it was coming to 360, and I was like, I'm gonna replay Gun, and it was the same game. It was exactly well, exactly the same as Tony. Same developer, yeah. even it was yeah, never it was never, never soft. soft. It was the yeah. same thing. Never soft. Ten bucks Where, more. Yeah. Same game. So it, it was. It had like the higher res stuff, but even then, it was the character models were the exact same. So having them in higher resolution kind of spotlighted didn't, didn't go well. They were not flattering. It kind of made the game yeah. look a little bit worse in some ways. Right. Yeah. Play so, that game on PSP. A couple, uh, another couple examples were Need for Speed Most yeah. Wanted, and then uh, King Kong, Peter Jackson's uh, King Kong, the official yeah. game of the movie. Uh, that was a big achievement game back then. Other, two yeah, other games just they finished just, it for yeah. the, for yeah, the yeah. thousand points. Yeah. There was also uh, Splinter Cell Double Agent was a totally different game on 360. That's a Perfect well, counterexample. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's where... Uh, I'd love to see more of that this year. That was done by two completely different development teams. Yeah. The, the lead platform on that was uh, the Xbox 360 version, which was the only version at the time, done at Ubisoft Shanghai. But then Montreal did a totally separate uh, current, then current-gen version, Xbox and PlayStation 2. Same story, different missions, was and... The, basically a chaos the, theory. The current-gen version was better. That's the hidden yeah. secret. Yeah. So history tells us that, yeah, for the most part, you know. So uh, when they're planning their launch lineup, they'll have a couple, two or three exclusives that are just on that next-gen system sure. that are supposed to show off what it's yeah. capable of. But for the most part, you know, most publishers out there don't get the development kits early enough to really create a game that's going to... Plus, the install base isn't going to be very right. big on the it's new system. It's about making money for them. A yeah. third-party developer has no allegiance to PlayStation 4 or to Xbox 720. They want to make money. So yeah, they already have this game. And how hard is it to port it over? All right, port it over. Whatever. I'll press the textures and let's just yep. do it. Yeah, we we want to make as much money off this property as we can. I think we're going to see a lot more Hawkware. Nickel. Uh, you, can, you don't get paid by yourself. That's not <laughs> all. all right. Just walk around saying it all day. If I say it enough, it'll become true. But, okay, okay. But yeah, I think we're going to see it a lot more with this transition than we did going from uh, last gen to this gen because a, the stakes in development now are, have just escalated so much. Development costs are so much higher. And, you know, we're seeing just so much, we're seeing developers shut down when games right. sell a couple million copies and oh, sorry, that wasn't enough. This we missed our projections. Six million wasn't yeah. enough. <laughs> so I think we're going to see a lot. I, I, to, the, to the reader's question, the, the viewer's point, I, I don't think we're going to see this, this next generation's 
potential fully tapped for at oh, least for a couple a while. years. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think part of that is because the, the visual disparity between current gen and next gen isn't going to be that much. I mean, it will be noticeable, but not to the degree of PlayStation 2 to PlayStation 3. Sure. No. You, can only, you can only go from the standard def error to the high def error once. Exactly. The, the real question, I think, is like for tech. When we're talking about like watchdogs, right? right? Everything they show for watchdogs and talk about watchdogs is, you know, you're going to be able to use your iPad to spy on your friends while they're playing and do this, and this is happening, and it sounds awesome, but that sounds super next-gen. That sounds sure. like the PlayStation 4. Well, you know what it sounds like is always online. It sounds very similar to this yeah. thing that everyone is up in arms about right now, which is, is are the next-gen consoles going to be always online? When you look at something like Destiny, when you look at something like, like Watch Dogs, when you look at something like Battlefield 4, all of these games appear to be reliant on, a, on some kind of connectivity. Whether that's going to be the case, we'll see, but... It, to your point, it sounds next-gen, and that, to me, sounds next-gen, always being... And so what does that mean for the PS3 and 360 version of that game? Right, like, like, do they, are they feature... Everything you've been promised for Watch Dogs, right? You're going to sit down, you're going to buy it on PS3, throw it in, and it's going to be like, nope, that's all That doesn't look stuff. like the TV commercial yeah. video <laughs> I saw. Yeah. yeah. I can't hack ATMs. I was trying to come up with a list of a few games that we know are going to be coming this fall, and I, I, I couldn't come up with that many. There's Assassin's Creed 4. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's Dogs, the big one. And we know. Battlefield. You can bank on things like Call of Duty. Exactly. Well, there was that rumor that Ghost might only be for yeah, next gen, which that's is true. crazy, which is crazy talk. That is crazy. They're throwing away money. In yeah, no way. Yeah. Ubisoft and Activision typically support console launches pretty well. They have some. They do. There. Yeah, it does. Okay. Um, but then there's Destiny. Destiny is a little is sort of a unique example, I think. Right? Like, it's being. It, I think from the beginning it was planned to sort of live on both ecosystems, right? Yeah. Uh, from what I can gather, and this is just my own speculation, I think the, the game experience will be pretty well the same on both. Uh, but I do think that the the, the technology is going to be. It's it's gonna look and run at barely acceptable levels on yeah. 360 and PS3 because because really you know th this Bungie's this is a franchise for the next ten years and the 360 and PS3 are just sort of gonna be around when that game for comes the next out, couple when that game comes out the Xbox 360 will be eight years old yeah, how I mean, crazy is that right? yeah eight year old tech these people are still making games for it and Ubisoft is very open I talked to Ubisoft and they said that we will continue to make games for the current gen after the next gen is out. Because there's money there. Right. Yeah. PlayStation 2 games continued to sell even after PlayStation 3 was out. Right. And again, it goes back to the stakes being so high in developing and publishing now. You're not going to see a situation where, with Microsoft, where the Xbox One, even up to the end, they were taking a loss on every box sold. So they cut the, the original Xbox off at the knees on purpose. They said, okay, well, no more games for this thing. Yeah. We're done. But this time, the 360 is... The 360 is on autopilot, and it is a <laughs> it is a service-based machine as well yeah. as a games machine. It's definitely going to live on for for the next few years, and and we will see games for it. But yeah, I think it's going to take a year or two before before um, we get more than just high-res port ups by right. and large. Right. Yeah, with E3 coming up in the not too distant future, we'll know you know what games are going to be coming out this fall, and we'll start being able to put together a list of what hardware. Be, uh, there you go. Now, he, now there's a nickel. Making that I money. I'm, my kid's going to go to a great college. I can tell already. The old nickel college. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's interesting when I, was, when I was doing some research for this, I went, looked back at the PlayStation 2 launch. And uh, at that time, there was, a, you know, there was a lot of games that were released, and most of them were exclusive to PlayStation 2. They weren't like, they weren't like hardware ports that yeah. were uh, yeah. you know, both PlayStation 1 and PlayStation 2. I think sometime during that uh, generation, some you know, business minded person at Microsoft or, or publishers were like, 
you know, not many people are going to have a 360 at launch. Let's just put the game out for both systems. So I think that's a relatively yeah, it, new development. It is. You're right. It is de the, the corporate mentality, the strategy has definitely changed. Well, at the PlayStation 2 launch, if you want to keep on the Tony Hawk example, Tony Hawk 4? 3? 3. I think Tony Hawk 3 came out around that time was a completely different game on PS2, GameCube, and Xbox than it was on PS1, because they kept releasing Tony Hawk 3 and 4 on the PlayStation 1, and they were totally different. They were very traditional, just here's a small space in a skate park, but on PS2, it's like they were, you know, for the time, like living worlds, there were people around, they were assigning you quests, you were in public places with people walking around a mall and stuff. It's like, what is this world? It's totally different for Tony Hawk, and they were very different games. Thanks for the question, Jake. Viewers, if you have your own questions, send them to gamescoop at IGN.com and stay tuned for more video game talks yeah. right here. Here, somewhere. Hey, Jenny, have you um, ever heard of a vampire slayer? Do you mean the one girl in all the world with the strength and skill to fight the vampires, demons, and forces of darkness? I do. Oh, yeah, I've heard of her. Cool. My name is Jenny Owen Youngs. And I'm Kristen Russo. And together, we spent six years watching every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, one at a time, podcasting about each and every one. Never seen Buffy before? We will protect you. Our podcast is spoiler-free, so first-time viewers can listen along safely. Ever thought to yourself, I wish someone was brave enough to write an original song for every single episode of Buffy? <laughs> Your search is at an end, my friend, because we did exactly that. So if you've never watched Buffy or if you're about to watch the series for the 14th time, come over and join us. Our podcast is called Buffering the Vampire Slayer, and you can learn more about it at BufferingCast.com. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.